Hello, everybody. This week's Parshas Parshas Mishpatim. And there's once a man who came to the Kleisenberger Rebbe. The Kleisenberger Rebbe, if you can see Yehuda Halberstam, was a famous, famous tzaddik. And he went through the war. He went through the Holocaust. He went through the camps. And he lost, I believe, eight children or ten children and his wife in the camps. And he was somebody who, although he suffered so much, he managed to come out of the war and inspire other people and rebuild the whole Kleisenberger Hasidus. And people would come to him, other survivors, they would come to him for chizik, they would come to him to be strengthened. And a man came to him once, another survivor, and he came to the Kleisenberger Rebbe and he said, Rebbe, I feel like Hashem, he's forsaken me, he's left me, he's not there for me, I have so many troubles, and I feel like Hashem Baruch Hu just, he's left, he, he's left me. So Kleisenberger Rebbe told him, you got to look at this week's parsha. This week's parsha, Parshas Mishpatim, it comes right after the end of Parshas Yisrael, which ended with the Klai Yisrael standing by our Sinai, HaKadosh Baruch Hu appeared to Klai Yisrael, he gave them the Luchas, he gave them the Saras Adibris. It was, a, it was a historical, monumental event. And what is the first thing, who are the first people HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives halachas about when he starts the Torah, so to speak, from scratch? Who are the first people he addresses? Is it the rich people? Is it the famous people? Is it the guys who are having life great? No. The first people that Tara talks about in this parasha is a little girl whose parents are so poor that they sell her into basically a slavery because they have no way to support her. The Tara goes on in the next parasha talks about Evan Ivory, a person who is so poor that he sells himself into slavery or that he steals and he has no way to repay it. The third person in the parasha is someone who was... He killed someone by mistake, and now he's forced to go into exile. Every one of these people in this parsha, in the beginning of the parsha, are people who are down on their luck and down in very, very tough times. They're the ones that Kadosh Baruch Hu talks about first. Their halachas are the first ones that Kadosh Baruch Hu is dealing with. Why? To teach us this lesson that no matter how hard things could be at sometimes, and we don't know why Kadosh Baruch Hu does it. Why Kadosh Baruch Hu does what he does? Why people have to go through rough times? We can't know the answer to that. But to think that HaKadosh Baruch Hu ever stopped thinking about a person, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does, has forsaken him, that's not true. And that's what the parish is teaching us by opening with these three halachos of the Amma Ivriya, the Evid Ivri, and the person who goes to Gullus. The parish tells us that an Evid Ivri, a Jew who sells himself into slavery, or a Jew who is sold into slavery because he couldn't afford to repay what he stole, so he works for six years for his master. And at the end of the six years, he's supposed to go free. But he's given a choice. If he wants to stay in slavery, if he likes the arrangement, then he's allowed to do what he's doing. But we take him and we bring him to the doorpost and we pierce his ear. And Rasha brings a well-known medrash that the reason why his ear is pierced is because this ear that heard by Har Sinai, that you should be a slave to me only, says Hashem, it shouldn't be slaves to anybody else. And the ear that heard by Harsinai, you should not steal, that ear that's supposed to have heard that and clearly didn't hear it well, that ear has to get pierced so that it rehears that lesson. That's what Rashi says. But the question that everyone asks on Rashi is that seemingly, when did the person transgress the prohibition of stealing. When did he transgress the prohibition of to me you should be slaves and not to anybody else? 
when he sold himself into slavery at the beginning of the six years, when he stole at the beginning of the six years, why do we wait? Only if he chooses to get to stay in slavery for the for the continuation after the six years, only then do he pierce his ear. What's the, why wait till then? And the Bali Musa explain they say a very very important point. A person has struggles. A person has an assignment. It's tough. Sometimes a person has nothing, he's, he's desperate, and he steals. Sometimes a person is down and he needs, he needs money, so he goes and sells himself into slavery to somebody else. He knows it's wrong, but he can't control himself. Life is getting too hard for him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu understands that. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives that person time. The person spends six years in slavery, but during that time, a person is supposed to change. A person is supposed to realize the mistake he made. A person is supposed to pick himself up and say, now that I have a chance to be free, I'm going to restart fresh. If a person goes through the entire six years of being an Evid Ivry, and he's given the opportunity now to go out, to change his path, to start fresh, and he says, you know what, I like this, I'm good with this, I'm, I'm okay with where I'm at, he, clearly, it's not just a one-time thing that he fell into a trap. He clearly, it became a policy. This is who he is, and he's fine with it. He's the guy who needs the wake-up call. He needs his ear to be pierced, so he really hears the lesson that a Jew should only be a slave to Hashem, and a Jew should never steal. He's the guy who needs the wake-up call. He's the guy who needs to have his ear pierced. The parsha continues and says, that if a person gets into a fight, if two Jews get into a fight, and God forbid one of them maims the other, he knocks out his eye or he, he ruins his arm. So Torah tells us that the halacha is that ayin tachas ayin, shein tachas shein, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The person who knocked out the other person's eye, he has to lose his own eye. That's what the Pasuk says. The Gemara Baba Kama in Paragachoval goes through a whole Amman and the Gemara explains that the halacha is not like that. Really, the Torah Shavuot explains to us, really, it's not supposed to be an eye for an eye. The person is supposed to pay back monetarily for the damage that he's done. So the question that all the Mepharshim struggle with is, if a Torah didn't want it to be an eye for an eye, if a Torah wanted it that a person should be paid back monetarily instead, so why write it that way? Why write that it's an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth? The Torah should write simply. If someone knocks out another person's eye, they have to compensate them. They have to pay them for it. Why write it in the literal sense of an eye for an eye, only to change it in Teresh And the Shalah, the Meshachachma, they explain that Teresh and Teresh are serving two very different roles. The Teresh what's written in the Torah, is the pure judgment, what it really is supposed to be in the purest form. Really, true judgment, true midas adin, will only be fulfilled if the person who knocked out someone else's eye, God forbid, has their own eye knocked out. That's the only way to really fulfill true midas adin. However, Hashem, He's the Avarachamon, He's midas harachamim, He's merciful, and He tells Bezdin, in practice, what you should do is make the guy pay to compensate the other person. Don't knock his eye out. But the reality is, True judgment would require ayin takasayin. It's an important concept for us to know that whenever we find the Teresh of saying something and Teresh of Peh saying something else, they're not changing the Teresh of There's two different levels. There's the Teresh of is the reality in its purest form of what it should be. And Teresh of Peh is how it's supposed to come down in practice in our world 
and how we're supposed to fulfill it. Towards the end of the parsha, Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu to come up to Shemayim for 40 days and 40 nights. Akshar Baruch says, I'm going to give you the stone tablets, the Torah and the commandments that I wrote to teach them. And all the Mepharshim struggled. That, what does it mean Akshar Baruch was saying the Torah that I already wrote down? We were halfway, only halfway at least, in the middle of a Torah at this point. There's still the whole Sefer Vayikra, Midbar and Dvarim, that haven't been written down yet. What does Hashem mean, the Torah that I wrote down, I'm going to give to you now? And different Mepharshim say different Shatun, they're on Ban, Sipurna, but the Meshachachma explains, he says as follows, he says, the Gemara in Erevin tells us that if a Torah hadn't been written or given to Klai Yisrael, we would have the ability to see the mitzvahs from the world around us. We would be able to learn the prohibition against stealing from a namala, from an ant. Just like ants don't take food that other ants have touched, once one ant touches it, no other ant takes it, we would learn from the ants not to steal. The Gemara says we will learn tzniyas, we will learn being modest from a cat. Cats, when they relieve themselves, they do it in a very modest way. They cover their excrement. The Gemara goes on to say that we will learn the prohibition of arias, of adultery from the dove, doves stick to their mate. And the Gemara goes on to list all different kinds of mitzvahs that we can learn simply by looking at the nature around us. The Gemara in Brachas tells us that all the Torah that eventually was asked and taught and discussed by all the students throughout the generation, Moshe Rabbeinu heard that at Har Sinai. That means, says the Meshachachma, that Hashem wrote the Torah already down in the creation that He made. The Torah is already written in nature around us. The Torah is already written in the hearts of every one of us. A person just has to be able to look hard and to think and to try to see it in nature around him and in his own heart. But the Torah is already there. When Hashem made the world, when He made humans, when He gave us our neshama, He already wrote down all the mitzvahs and all the Torah in them. And that's what Hashem means, the Torah Asher Kasavti, that I've already written. It's all there. Now I'm going to give it to you in a form that's easier to see. But if you look hard enough, it's all around you and it's inside you. It's just up to us to look and see it. I want to end off with one last of our Torah. The mission of it says, If a person doesn't have basic derecheretz, basic good character traits, he doesn't treat other people nicely, he does not get Torah. He can't connect fully to the Torah. The Mishnah continues, Im ein Torah, ein If a person doesn't have Torah, he can't have Derech And the Rebbein Yerna asked the obvious question, so which one is it? Do you need Derech first, or do you need Torah first? Is Torah the way to get Derech or is Derech the way to get Torah? And he explains and he says as follows, he says that there's two levels of Derech There's two levels of being a good, nice, kind person. There's the basic level, the Derech that's Kadma You need to have a basic level of being a good, nice, decent person if you want to have anything to do with Torah. But then, there's a higher level of Derech that a person can only achieve through learning the Torah and from getting the Torah inside him. But then he can reach higher levels of Derech which he wasn't even aware of before he learned the Torah. And the Rebbe Lapian, the Lev he explains, he gives an example from this week's parasha. He says, the Torah tells us, the Gemara in Kedushan writes that a person who acquires an Evid Ivri, a Jew who buys another Jew as a slave, 
like a Torah prescribes for six years, the Gemara says that when he buys that slave, he's really buying a master for himself. Why, says the Gemara? Because a Jew who buys another Jew as a slave, he's obligated to treat him extremely nicely. There's only one pillow in the house, there's only one bed in the house, the slave gets, not the master. A Jew who buys another Jew, he's, he's obligated to treat him above and beyond. And the question is obvious, why is that? It's my pillow. It's only if I, Look, if I could share, I could share, but if it's only one pillow, why doesn't the master keep the pillow? Why does he have to give it to the Evid? If I come with you to a hotel and there's only one bed, right? So whoever paid for the room gets the bed. Why is it that here the Evid gets the bed, he gets the pillow? And he explains because you're right. Normally, two people, whoever gets it, it's his, and that's how it goes. But here it's different. If the master would sleep on the bed, if the master sleep on the pillow, and the Ebed would be stuck on the floor, what would the Ebed be telling himself? The Ebed would be looking up at the master sleeping comfortably and saying, you know what, my life sucks. I'm in slavery. I get to be stuck out in the field working hard every day. And not only that, I don't even have a bed to sleep on. I don't even have a pillow. And this guy's sleeping all comfortably. Everything about my life sucks. He's depressed. He's down. To him, that pillow means so much more. To the master, he doesn't have a pillow. Okay, life wasn't as comfortable as it could have been. But he doesn't take his whole life. It doesn't reflect on everything else going on. The Torah commands us to recognize the state that Evid Ivory's in and to go the extra mile, to give him something extra, which technically you're right, it's the master's right, but he should go further to recognize the state that Evid Ivory's in. That level of derecheretz, that level of caring and sensitivity for somebody else, says the Levelio, that a person can only achieve through Torah. That's something that only the Torah, which Hashem gave us, can teach a person. Basic derecheretz, that's a must before a person learns Torah. That level a person gets through Torah. And I want to just give one story I heard recently from every soccer friend, which I think really brings out this point. There was a family in New York around 50, 60 years ago. Well, their son got engaged to a girl from California, from Los Angeles. And their son was a student of Rabbi Yitzhak Huttner in Chaim Berlin. So they flew in for the engagement party, and they were very close to Rabbi Huttner. So they brought Rabbi Huttner in for the engagement party, for the VART. And before their engagement party happens, they're all sitting there in the apartment, in the house, with the other family, and everyone's talking and everyone's schmoozing, and Rav Hutner is sitting there with the, with the, with the prospective father-in-law, and he's talking to him, and he says, you know, this student of mine, he's really something special. He's a very, very, very top student, and he's going to be destined to be a great Tamachacham. Oh, thank you so much, says the father-in-law. I'm, I'm really excited. Rav Hutner's like, no, you don't understand. He needs to have a dowry that can support him in learning for many, many years without any any worries or any thoughts. You need to guarantee him a lot of money. He's such a special student. He really needs to be given a lot of money as a dowry. Of course, as a father-in-law, of course, I'll give, you know, I understand. He's a great student. We're very excited. But I, was like, I don't think you understand. He needs a lot of money. You need to give him $300,000 as a dowry. Now, $300,000 nowadays is a lot of money, you know. I don't know anybody who got that kind of dowry, but... In 1960s or 70s, it was around $2 million. The father-in-law is shocked. He says, I can't. I don't have that kind of, like, what do you, I, I can't. Back and forth, forth and back. Eventually, Rav Hunter convinced the families to break the shidduch. And everyone who was there was shocked. And just such a strange thing. What's Rav Hunter doing? Why is he getting involved? What's he, this extreme demands. But okay. 
unfortunately, it was over. They broke apart, and the shidduch was over. Many, many years later, Hunter was nifter, and at his shiva, the story came out, the true story behind the story. The mother of the boy had come to Rav Hunter at the engagement party, and she asked him, Rebbe, can I speak to you for a second privately? He said, of course. He stepped outside. She told him, I now recognize this mother of the girl, the potential mechitanista, the other side, the in-laws. In those days, people didn't really travel, and they didn't see, they didn't meet before they got engaged. And she, now it was the first time she met her, she said, I recognize her. She was my capo in the concentration camps. I cannot possibly let my son marry such a family. What should I do? So Rav Hunder told her, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Rav Hunder put himself in a situation, he recognized that on one hand, he can't let this family marry into a family where the mother had to suffer at the hands of his other woman. On the other hand, he didn't feel it was right to divulge this information, to ruin this girl's family's life, that everyone's going to know that this mother was a capo. So he went and he took the heat upon himself. He went and made himself look like a horrible person, that he's the one breaking the shidduch with unreasonable demands, and he never told anybody. For years and years and years, everyone was going around saying that Rav Hutner is this crazy rabbi from New York, breaking shidduchim, and he's doing it to save that very family, both families, from immense pain. That's a level of derech which only terror could bring about. It's a level of derech which we, we, don't, we, we can't relate to. But it's something we can learn from ourselves to at least not insult people, at least be sensitive to people on a basic level, and to try to be careful about the feelings of other Jews. We should all be zaycha to truly incorporate the lessons of Parshish Mishpatim and to truly learn to feel the sensitivities and worries of another Yid. Shabbos.